We are going to be in Matthew chapter 2 this morning. Matthew chapter 2, we were in Matthew 1 last week, looked at one verse there and talked about the significance of a name and what the meaning of a name uh, is all about, especially when it refers to and relates to Jesus, that uh, he is called by many titles and many names throughout Scripture, all of which are, are wonderful names that help us to see who Jesus is. And that's what we talked about last week. We talked about Jesus' birth, and today we are going to move into Matthew chapter 2. We'll get back to our series in Mark probably Sunday after next, maybe next Sunday. We'll have to wait and see, uh, but we'll after we get through this Christmas and New Year season, we'll uh, return to Mark. But until then, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 2 today, verses 1 through 16 is where we will be. Matthew 2, verses 1 through 16. We'll read through these verses, we'll pray, and then we'll talk about what they say. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived unexpectedly in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. So he assembled all the chief priests and scribes of the people and asked them where the Messiah would be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they told him, because this is what was written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, because out of you will come a leader who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly summoned the wise men and asked them the exact time the star appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. When you find him, report back to me so that I too can go and worship him. After hearing that the king, excuse me, after hearing the king, they went on their way. And there it was, the star they had seen in the east. It led them until it came and stopped above the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed beyond measure. Entering the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another route. After they were gone, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Get up, take the child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and escaped to Egypt. He stayed there until Herod's death, so that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet may be fulfilled. Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been outwitted by the wise men, flew into a rage. He gave orders to massacre all the male children in and around Jerusalem who were two years old and under, in keeping with the time he learned, had, he had learned from the wise men. Let's pray. God, we thank you for these words this morning. And God, I pray that you would hide me behind the cross as I preach and teach, that I would glorify you in the words that come from my mouth, dear Lord. And I pray, God, that you would 
Use me, dear Lord, even though I am unworthy to be used by you, God. I thank you for the privilege to speak your word today, God. And I pray that you just would let your Holy Spirit work in the hearts and in the minds of each one of us today. And I pray, God, that these words will speak to our hearts and help us to see things that we need to see so that we can continue to grow in you. And God, may everything that's said this morning and done here be for your glory and for your kingdom. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You probably noticed when you came in this star that was hanging beside me. I thought about this star as, as I was thinking about this passage this week because that's what we're talking about. This is an important part of what we refer to as the Christmas story as we talk about the wise men. We think about the star that led these wise men to Jesus, to the Messiah. And I remember this star. Uh, when I was a kid, probably 25 years ago or more, my grandpa made this star. He loved Christmas lights, and there were always Christmas lights on their house, and, and he made this old star, and every year until he was probably in his 80s, he would get up onto the roof, and he would attach this star to their chimney. So as you were uh, driving down the road, you would see this star shining brightly. Now, this thing has not been repaired in all those years and I was shocked when I dug it out yesterday to plug it in and see that the lights even worked at all. In this star the lights are beginning to fade out. Only probably half of them or less than half are still lit up but it still produces light and I thought about this star as I was uh, preparing for this message and I suppose this is more nostalgic for me uh, than it goes with the message but as I looked at this star and I saw that it was beginning to burn out uh, I am reminded of the star that we see in the scripture and what it represents. This star that the wise men saw was a star that was pointing to a light that would never burn out. It was pointing to a light that would burn for all of eternity. It was pointing to a light that would, that would, that would, that would light the, the, the souls of the world on fire should they turn to him. A light that would reveal the sins in our life, a light that would uh, bring us salvation. And so the star we see in this story today is a star that pointed to a light that will eternally burn. Now this is an interesting story that we are looking at today as we talk about these wise men and the events that took place in these passages because there are a lot of details that we probably wish we knew but we simply don't know. Now we come up with lots of of, of possibilities of what may have gone on and what may have caused these things and, and, and what the wise men may have looked like and all of these things, but we simply just don't know much about what we see in this passage. Now, these events took place after the birth of Jesus. We see that in verse 1. It is very unlikely, I won't say impossible, but it's very unlikely that the wise men arrived on the night that Jesus was born, and that seems pretty apparent through the text. Now, I know in our Christmas stories, the wise men, they come, and there are three of them, and they are riding camels, and they come the night of Jesus' birth, and there is a possibility that those things are true, but the text seems to tell us otherwise. These events happened after the birth of Jesus, and we don't know how long after the birth of Jesus, but it could have been up to two years because as Herod found out about the Messiah and was preparing to kill the Messiah, he said that he ordered all of the children 
uh, male children two years old and under uh, to be killed in keeping with what the wise men said, that is, regarding as to when they saw the star. So this likely happened months after Jesus was born and up to probably two years that these events took place. Now, we see that wise men came from the east, and we don't know much about these wise men. It has been suggested by some that they were kings. That is a possibility, although I don't think that that was the case, but that could have been the case. They could have simply been kings, or they could have been wise men. Now, when it says from the east, we're probably talking about the area of Persia. That would have been uh, pretty far to the east of where Israel, where Bethlehem was. So the area of Persia or the area of Babylon that we see in the Old Testament, that would have been the region where these wise men probably would have set out on their journey. And we don't know how many wise men there were. It is usually uh, presented to us that there were three wise men, although the scripture doesn't tell us that. Now, perhaps that is derived from the fact that there were three gifts that were brought to Jesus, the gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh, and there may have only been three wise men. Perhaps there were two wise men, or perhaps there were a hundred wise men. We simply don't know how many wise men there were. There could have been a whole group of wise men, and they could have brought camel loads uh, full of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And so we simply don't know the answer to some of these questions that we want to know, and these answers are not terribly significant. How many wise men there were doesn't really change the story in any way. We have other questions we may ask about this story as well. The fact that they were following the star. Why were they even looking for the star? How did they know the star would point to the Messiah? Uh, if these were men who were from the Persia Babylon area, where did their information come from? Well, this is a good question to which we really don't know the answer to. Now, I think the strongest possibility, if we were going to make an argument from Scripture, may be that they learned about the Messiah and the prophecies in the Old Testament through the Israelites who were taken captive by the Babylonians. The people of Judah were taken captive for 70 years, and we talked about some of these a few months back when we talked about Dan Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, they were wise men in the, in the, in the king's in the king's court. Uh, Daniel was a very wise man, and Daniel would have hung out with these very same type of wise men that we see in this story. The wise men that we see in the book of Daniel, they looked at the stars, and they, uh, they did all of these same type of things. Now, uh, they might not have been godly men, but Daniel was a godly man, and he was grouped right in there with all of the rest of the wise men of the king's court in the book of Daniel, uh, when the people of Judah were taken captive. Now, that is one possibility, and really I believe maybe the only one that Scripture would, would kind of give us to give us some hint as to where they may have learned about prophecy and learned about the Messiah and learned about the Lord. Perhaps it was Daniel's influence, and all of these years later, uh, there was a group of them who still were looking for and seeking the Lord. That's one possibility. Another possibility is that God simply revealed this to them. It was a miraculous revelation. It was a special revelation that in whatever way God did it, he put on the hearts of these wise men that the Messiah was coming and there was a star and they needed to follow that star to find it. 
That's a possibility. The Bible just simply doesn't tell us how the wise men knew to follow this star and how they knew the Messiah was going to be under that star. But God had to have revealed that to them in some way. And then we have other questions about this star. What did this star look like? Was this a miraculous event? It was a star that was moving and a star that apparently had pinpoint accuracy. Because as they traveled looking for uh, the Messiah, as they approached Herod and said, Look, we've seen his star. We've come, to, we've come to find the Messiah, the King of the Jews. And the star continued to point them on their way until it pointed them all the way to the house where the Messiah was. Now, how did God make this star appear? What kind of star was it? Was it a star that only the wise men could see? If it was a star that other people could see, why didn't they gather around to the place? We simply don't know the answers to these questions. And there's lots of su suggestions. Uh, I'm sure if we were to look at it from a strictly scientific point, from people who knew the stars, they may say, oh yeah, it was the star so-and-so. And they were simply looking at a star that maybe we can see every few hundreds of years in our solar system. And perhaps that is the case. Perhaps God, when he put everything into creation and put the, uh, the solar system into orbit and everything to spinning, he made it so that star would be bright at just that particular perfect time. And that could be a possibility. Or it could be simply a miraculous event. Like many other miraculous events that we see in Scripture, a star that God made appear at just that time and to perform just that task so that these wise men could come and seek the king. There are a lot of questions that we may have about this story and the events surrounding this story and the people in this story that we simply do not know the answer to. But there are some things that we do know the answer to in this story. We see, one, first and foremost, we looked at last week, that the Messiah had come. Now, in this story, we, we have seen a real contrast between some of the main characters here. You have wise men from the east who are seeking the Messiah. And you have God's own people, represented by King Herod here, who are seeking to kill the Messiah. Now, the people who should have been looking for the Messiah to come and been excited about the Messiah to come and rejoicing at the fact that the Messiah had come, it should have been God's very people. But here we see Herod who did not want to hear this news. Herod was troubled by it and it says the other people were troubled at the fact that the king had been born. Now we can understand why Herod would be troubled by this fact because Herod was the king. And obviously, Herod didn't care about the Messiah as much as he cared about retaining power for himself. And so when he heard that the Messiah was born, he asked some of his people, he said, wait a minute, where did the prophecy say the Messiah was to be born? And they said, well, the, the prophecies in Micah said that he was going to be born in Bethlehem. And here come these wise men, and they're seeking this child, trying to figure out where he was, and Herod doesn't know what he's going to do, and so he decides to eliminate the problem. He is going to kill the Messiah. If he kills this newborn king, then he can retain his kingship and life will be well. So he tells these wise men, hey, why don't you go find the king for me? Continue on your way. See if you can find him. And when you find him, I want you to come back and tell me because I 
want to worship the king. Now here we have a stark contrast. These people from the east, they were not God's chosen people. These were people who shouldn't have even been seeking the king and looking for the king. But here they had traveled all of this way, and they knew who they were looking for. Some have, have suggested that, well, those wise men of the east, they studied the stars, and any time they saw a miraculous star in the sky, they attributed that to a king being born. Well, that may be true, but they didn't just come here saying, we saw a star, there must be a king. They came specifically looking for the Messiah, the king of the Jews. They knew who they were looking for. And they didn't just come to see the king. They came to worship the king. They came to give the king gifts, valuable gifts. They knew who they were looking for, and they had traveled a long distance. They had followed the light to find the Messiah. But yet Herod desired to kill the Messiah. Now, perhaps this is a good opportunity for us to look at our life. What do we think about Jesus when we hear of Jesus, when we hear of Jesus' words? Are we drawn to Jesus? Do we desire to serve Jesus and follow Jesus? Or are we more like Herod? We don't want anything to do with Jesus. Hopefully we are more like the wise men. I don't know what made the men wise. Maybe they were wise before they came to seek Jesus. Or maybe they are referred to as wise men because they simply begin to seek Jesus. Perhaps their wisdom is because they were seeking Jesus. That's where real wisdom is found in Jesus Christ and the cross. And so perhaps that's why Matthew refers to them as wise. Herod was foolish. He was not wise. He was not seeking Jesus. But these men from the east were, and perhaps they are referred to as wise for that reason. Now Herod was desiring to kill Jesus, to kill the Messiah. But obviously the Lord knew Herod's plan and the Lord warned the wise men and the Lord warned Mary and Joseph that they should flee so that they could escape the trouble, so that they could escape Jesus being killed by Herod. And that may raise another question in our mind because when we see Jesus in Scripture, we see that Jesus was killed. He, he died for our sins. And some would say, well, why does it matter when Jesus was killed? What if Herod would have killed Jesus that day? Wouldn't it have been just the same as Jesus dying on the cross? After all, his life was taken, and, and, and his life is what is the ransom that's paid for the forgiveness of our sins. Would it have mattered if Herod would have killed Jesus on that day? Wouldn't Jesus still have been the Messiah? Well, if that question has ever crossed your mind or a similar question to it, I would say the fact that Jesus died for our sins is really only half of the story. The fact that Jesus was killed, the fact that Jesus' life was given is only really half of the salvation story. Now, we have one popular verse that maybe you have heard before, and that is John 3.16, which read, reads, For God loved the world in this way he gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Now here at the birth of Jesus, we see God beginning that process of giving his one and only Son, a process that carries on and it continues to completion on the cross where his Son is given completely, where his 
life is given. Now, this is an important part of this story that God would give his only begotten son so that we would all receive eternal life through Jesus Christ. As I thought about this verse, I was reminded of a short film that came out some years ago, back in the early 2000s. Uh, it's a good film. You should watch it. You can find it on YouTube. Really short. The name of the film is Most, and it's a film that I have seen uh, referenced a lot in, in regards to John 3.16, and it is a powerful story, if I can take a moment to tell you the story. Uh, it's a story of a man who, who works at a, at a train track bridge switching station. It's his job to raise the bridge so that boats can uh, go under the bridge and when the train is coming to uh, lower the bridge down so that the train can continue along its way on the tracks and the passengers can safely arrive on the other side. And in the story, this man is a loving father who is taking his son to work with him. And as he is in the watchtower waiting for the train to come to flip the switch to uh, lower the bridge at just the right time, he's doing his job. And he leaves his son off to the side fishing by himself and looking out the window every few minutes to make sure the son is safe. And he raises the bridge so that the boat can pass underneath the bridge and walks away for a minute. The train is only supposed to be coming about 30 minutes later, and so he has plenty of time, so he steps away for a moment. Oh, but the train did not stop at the light where it was supposed to, to let it know that the bridge was still up. And as the sun began to fish and continued to fish, he saw the smoke of the train smokestack as it was coming, and it was coming ahead of time, and the sun saw that the bridge was raised. And as he yelled for his father and yelled for his father, his father had stepped away and the son decided to uh, run up to the train track and reach for the emergency switch to allow the bridge to come down. And as the son went to reach for the emergency switch and, and was crawling down into the gears of the bridge to, 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 to solve this problem and save these people, the father arrives and he sees the son fall into the gears of the bridge. And the train is approaching quickly and the bridge is raised and the son is trapped and the father has a choice to make. Here comes train car after train car after train car that are full of people. And the, and, and the short film shows that some of these people are sad and some are happy and some are angry. Some are stressed out, some are overloaded, some are drug heads, some are having a good life and some have the worst life ever. Some are leaving loved ones behind and others are on their way home to see loved ones. And the train is full of people that represent really everyone in the world. And here comes the train. It is, it is bearing down. It is drawing close. It is getting close to the bridge. And what will the father do? The father could run down and save his son, but yet everyone on the train would die. Or the father could pull the lever, and the bridge could lower, and the son's life would be given, but it would spare the life of all of the people on the train. And so the father makes the decision that he must lower the bridge. And scenes like that really they really grab you when you see them in a movie. And what a powerful illustration that movie is. And in a way, it does halfway describe the story of Jesus and the story of God. 
that God would give His Son as a sacrifice so that we could be forgiven. Because we're not so different than the people on that train. We're just like them. We have good days and bad days. There are days where we're happy and days where we are sad. There are days where we are angry. There are days when we sin and there are days when we are obedient to God. And think about the words of John 3.16. When we read them time and time again, they may be so common to us, we may not really reflect on them. That God gave His only begotten Son so that we could be forgiven. Now, God knew. He knows everything. He knew you. He knew me. He knew what we were going to do. But yet He still loved us enough to say, I'm going to give my Son so that you can be forgiven. And that movie is a great illustration. It's a powerful illustration to us. It's a heartbreaking illustration that as you watch the scene unfold that you, you, your heart beats with, with anxiousness because you want to see what's going to happen and then, and then you feel the weight of that, of that heartache, of that sadness as the father makes the decision. And that story is a good illustration, but it really only represents half of the story of Jesus Christ, I believe. Because... What Jesus did, he didn't just die for our sins. It wasn't just the fact that he was killed. It wasn't just the fact that his life was taken by those who were around him who nailed him to the cross. What made Jesus different was the fact that he gave his life. It wasn't just the fact that he died for us, but it's the fact that he wanted to die for us. It's the fact that Jesus himself knew everything God knew. He knew that you were a sinner. He knew that I was a sinner. He knew what was going to take place that day. He knew that they were going to nail him to a cross. He knew that they were going to beat him. He knew that they were going to place a crown of thorns on his head. And he gave his life for us. It wasn't just that his life was taken, but that his life was given. God gave his only begotten son, but Jesus himself gave his life for us. And that's the other part of the story. That's why it's significant in this story we see today that Herod didn't kill the Messiah. It wasn't just that Jesus came and died for us, which he did, but that he willingly and lovingly gave his life for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But that only begotten son willingly gave his own life. And we see that we see that in Mark chapter 10, verse 45. Coincidentally, we'll be there in just a week or two. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Now, isn't that a beautiful thing right there? That's a beautiful thing that Jesus would give his life for me. I cannot even imagine it. I can't even imagine it. I don't understand it. I don't understand it. I'm a pretty rotten sinner. And day after day, I say, boy, I'm going to do better. And man, I find myself falling and stumbling a lot. Maybe you do too, I don't know. But I think, man, why would God even love me? And maybe you think that. And I don't know the answer to that. If you find it out, you let me know. 
I can't imagine why a perfect God, why Jesus Christ would suffer all he suffered for me. It makes no sense to me. But that's grace. But that's mercy. And what we see in Jesus is not just a Savior who died. He didn't just die. He willingly gave his life as a ransom for many. There's a word that we use for people like that. That word is hero. Now, we may not often apply that word to Jesus, but I think it's a fitting word for Jesus. And we love heroes, right? We love heroes. We watch heroes on movies, and we see these guys who are tough and who are rugged. Man, they are better than all the bad guys. But how many times in a movie do we see at the end of the movie the hero has to give their very life to save someone else. And every time we see it, it's kind of touching because the hero is tough, right? They have done things out of this world, things that, man, people shouldn't be able to do. They are so strong. They can take anything. But almost always in our movies and our shows, it comes down to the hero having to make the choice to give their own life to save others. That's what a true hero does. And not only in our movies do we see heroes, but we see them in our own lives. We probably have them in our lives. Maybe it's someone in our family, a dad, a grandpa, a mom, a grandma, people that we look up to, people that we say, wow, he or she is my hero. I want to be like them. I want to model my life after them. And we see heroes in our real world. We see heroes in events like 9-11. As terrorists attacked our country and, and planes flew into those World Trade Center buildings. And as the buildings were going up in flames and crumbling to the ground and beginning to fall and the people who could get out were, were running from the bottom of those buildings. There was one group of men and women who were running into the building knowing full well that their life may not come out of the building, that their life may be taken from them. And those men and women, those police officers and firemen, they ran into buildings that were burning, that were falling down. And those people we call heroes. Because a true hero is somebody who says, I will give my life to save another. And what better hero do we have than Jesus Christ who gave his life to save the whole world should they come to him, the whole world should they repent, the whole world should they seek him, should they see the light and come to him and say, we see the Messiah, we see his light, we are coming to him. What a wonderful hero we have in Jesus. What a wonderful savior we have in Jesus. He was not just a man who was killed for us, but he was a man who gave his life so that we could be forgiven. And here in this story, we are told of these wise men, unsuspecting men, that no one expected to show up in Jerusalem, that no one would have expected to seek the Messiah, but yet they saw the light and they were drawn to the light. And they came to the Messiah. They came to the King. They came to Jesus 
and they worshiped him. And I hope this Christmas season and every day of our life, we realize that Jesus is our hero. That the very one the wise men came to seek is the same one that you and I seek today. We don't follow the star for light. We follow Jesus because he is the light. And I hope we are seeking the light today. We are seeking the Messiah today. We are seeking the King today. We recognize Jesus is our hero. He is the one that in the midst of all the sin that you and I have committed, in the midst of all the sin that goes on in the world, he saw it. And he didn't run from it. He left heaven and he came to it. He came right in the midst of the sin, knowing full well the consequences, and said, you know what? I'm going to give all I can to save any who will come to me. And I hope this morning that you are one who will come to Jesus. I hope today you realize the sacrifice that God made, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life, and that Jesus Christ gave his own life as a ransom for many, and there is only forgiveness of sins through Jesus. I pray today that you see the light in God's word, and I pray that you seek that light and you humble yourself before the king so that you can receive salvation and forgiveness of sins. Let's pray. God, we come to you this morning. I thank you for these good words, God. I pray that we would never... Uh, forget and fail to recognize and realize the significance of Jesus and who he is and what he has done, dear Lord. And God, I pray that he would be our greatest hero. God, I pray that if there is one who has never trusted Jesus that today that they would, that they would realize the sacrifice that he made when he gave his life on a cross for us. And God, I just pray that you would forgive us of our sins. I pray that you would help us to seek you. I pray that we would be found faithful following the light. And God, I pray that if there is one in here today that's struggling, that they would know that Jesus died for and they would seek him today. And I just ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us for today's service. To learn more about Jesus, call or text Pastor Shan at 601-657-0180 or email him at shanvn at me.com. You can also visit us at www.enterprisebaptist.church Follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash ebcliberty. We hope that you have been blessed by today's service.